Hello and welcome to the Eastern Front. My name is Yuria Georgia. I'm with the Georgetown University and Middle East Institute and I'm joined by Giselle Donnelly from the American Enterprise Institute and Dalibor Rohaj, also with AI. On our podcast, we talk about the many challenges to European peace that have emerged along a line running from the Baltic to the Black Sea, the Eastern Front, and about why those matter to the United States. If you enjoy this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we're joined by um, Batu Putelia, who is former Georgian ambassador to the United States and is currently on the board of Atlantic Council Georgia with the McCain Institute as a fellow and um, founder of the Georgian political party, Blua. Um, Batu, thank you so much for joining us. We um, weren't able to catch you when you were recently in Washington, so you're joining us today from Tbilisi, which is even nicer. <laughs> um, and uh, and we're thrilled to have you with us today to give us um, uh, to give us an overview of where Georgia is with um, political issues, both domestic and external. It's been now three weeks. Um, since um, the big announcements around the European Union's um, candidate status. And while Moldova and Ukraine, unsurprisingly, um, got a green light, with Georgia, things were a little bit more complicated. And one's got to read um, through the lines and kind of understand um, EU language um, to figure out um, what um, what the candidate status really is about with Georgia and what the conditionality as the EU calls it is when it comes to um, when it comes to Georgia. So I'm wondering if we can start with um, that. I know you've been here in Washington. Before that, you were in Brussels um, to actually also advise on some of these issues related um, to Georgia in the in its relationship to the European Union, as well as to the United States. So can you give us, with um, with the knowledge that you have on these issues, can you give us um, basically a readout um, for our audience in terms of um, where Georgia is um, when it comes to the, um, to the European Union and um, what the issues are that the government now has um, when... Um, if it wants to make progress towards EU integration. Uh, uh, thank you, Julia. Thank you for uh, uh, having me on your podcast. It's a great pleasure to have an ability uh, to share uh, my thoughts uh, about Georgia and then our region in this very important moment for the global uh, order, uh, which has been uh, seriously targeted uh, by Putin consistently. And now we see that uh, this uh, offensive, let's say, of aggressive revisionism of Putin really took a strong military uh, uh, angle uh, in, in Ukraine. Uh, so to uh, answer briefly uh, your question where Georgia is, um, Georgia is at the front line, trying to resonate the name of your podcast. And yes, Georgia is on the front line of democracy. And uh, this front line is just uh, exactly matches uh, this, uh, Russia's uh, aggressive 
revision is in different directions. Georgia was the first one who's been attacked by uh, Russia militarily in 2008. Uh, after in 2007, Putin announced his grand plan of undermining liberal democratic order and offering his own views uh, uh, how the world order should look like. So since then, Georgia has been on the front line. And uh, in different instances, uh, uh, Russia had a, uh, different uh, advances or successes on this front line, starting from the Baltic Sea, Black Sea, uh, and uh, uh, Georgia as part of this uh, segment of this front line has been quite uh, resistant towards Russia's offensive. One of the major reasons why Georgia was so resistful uh, was the ability of Georgia to start rapid democratization and modernization of the state uh, since the Rose Revolution. But uh, unfortunately, uh, recently, even the war has not uh, affected Georgia's public uh, uh, predisposition towards the democracy, Europe, uh, EU, NATO. Still today, 85% of Georgians support this idea. Notwithstanding the uh, current backslide of uh, democratic credentials uh, with Georgian dream government recently, which I personally view uh, as a uh, a Russian proxy because every step they've done is uh, to advance the Russian cause in the region instead of keeping Georgia on the track of uh, democratization. So um, that's why I think that uh, in and what is happening in Georgia is part of this, as I said in the beginning, of part of this Russian uh, hybrid offensive against liberal democracy. While militarily uh, uh, Russia is not advancing as it desired in Ukraine, unfortunately, but in Georgia, Russia had a better uh, results on this front line. Uh, because Russia has a, uh, a collaborationist government of uh, Georgia who is not joining uh, sanctions against Russia, who is supporting Russian money laundering schemes, and also the entire playbook of the state capture that is happening in Georgia by uh, uh, one billionaire, the ra made in Russia billionaire Ivanishvili. Uh, he captured state uh, according to the Putin's or Kremlin's playbook. And you can see a striking similarity of the steps he took to consolidate his power. Therefore, uh, again, uh, uh, looping back to the question you mentioned in the beginning, Georgia is uh, uh, the weakest link on this front line, front line of democracy against Russia. But uh, I still uh, want to bring more optimism to this issue. And this, uh, uh, my optimism is based, again, on the Georgia's public outcry as a result of Russia's war against Ukraine. We had a constantly uh, hundred thousand strengths uh, public rallies and even uh, people with a different political taste uh, and the party preferences uh, marched on the streets in support of first Ukraine in the beginning to support, uh, to uh, denounce Georgia's government's inability to stand with Ukraine and to stand with the world and then uh, also to demonstrate our willingness of being to be part of European Union as it became obvious that Georgia instead of being a front runner on the Eastern partnership that we used to be uh, some years ago we became a kind of a lame duck in this process.
And of course, the only uh, uh, blame would go to the Georgian government. One of the major reasons of this backsliding is uh, their uh, again, uh, autocratic state capture and plus uh, inability to deliver what uh, people really want. And these are the quite well listed 12 bullets by the, uh, the Council of Europe, what Georgia should be doing. And one of them is the oligarchization in, uh, in, uh, in, in the line of other uh, recommendations, which is just a modernization of Georgian state. Uh, free elections, having an independent courts, uh, making an inclusive political process instead of polarization, and etc. These are the well-known recipes for uh, any state, and particularly Georgia, which really needs to seize this historic opportunity that the uh, European Union has opened for Ukraine, Moldova, and Georgia. So we still have time to uh, catch up uh, until the end of the year when the European Union will come back to this. Uh, issue and we have a very strong public uh, rallies in support of uh, us delivering rapid results. On the other hand, uh, we see that the government, instead of following what the 85% uh, of our uh, citizens want, they are just clinched to their own power and the major uh, decisions they make is just to maintain uh, uh, their own uh, grip to the power and create some kind of a, a safe environment for the oligarch, the one who informally rules the country. So we have 85% uh, of people who want to go to the Europe to live together with the, uh, to be able to make our own independent choices, to live with the uh, within the uh, family of democracies, European democracies, and we have a, a small group of people. Uh, surrounding the oligarch who have a power and they do not feel accountable to those 85% of people. So the situation is rather grave and the uh, uh, kind of uh, perspective of uh, uh, pushing Georgian government to change their trajectory uh, leaves uh, little chance because even after this uh, major failure of not getting a membership perspective, uh, and strong warning from the European Union, uh, we don't see any meaningful steps from the Georgian government till today. Just the opposite. They are still resorting to the polarization, uh, still uh, uh, are taking offensive stance towards our friends, uh, our European friends, uh, intimidating our American friends. So this anti-Westernism became a trademark of the Georgian dream. Uh, and uh, this uh, anti-Westernism uh, has been before maybe uh, not so obvious uh, for distant observers, but now it's a, uh, openly and easily seen without any additional expertise because entire their rhetoric, the methods they use, uh, the way they coerce uh, their political opponents is, as I said in the beginning, coming out of the Kremlin playbook. Wonder if the anti-Western uh, propaganda, just to call it that, um, has any resonance in the countryside or among the uh, you know uh, middle and lower classes in ways that we've seen in other European countries, uh, or is it just a product of direct uh, oligarchical control? I mean, does it does it have any resonance with people who are might feel that they would be left behind by westernization? 
Yes, uh, uh, the anti-Western propaganda largely is uh, taking the uh, same uh, methods, same messages, maybe adapted to the uh, Georgian realities, and also uh, there are uh, particular players who are executing. So there is particular content and they are the replicators. Uh, uh, this also uh, resembles uh, the same tactics what Russia is resorting in, in other countries. Uh, we see uh, violence groups, so-called, they call them patriots or nationalistic groups. We see that uh, indirectly or directly they are getting financial support uh, from the government. Uh, also, we see Georgian Orthodox Church, who has been heavily, uh, the, as an institution, heavily uh, penetrated by Russia and the pro-Russian sentiments, and this group uh, is trying to dominate the narrative, which is uh, quite a, a big problem if we consider uh, that this is the predominantly the major uh, religious denomination, the Georgia is an Orthodox uh, Christian country. But also uh, important is that, uh, also important component here to consider is that how uh, striking similarity of uh, pro-Russian uh, pro uh, propaganda outlets and their replicators uh, are now coinciding with the Georgian government talking heads uh, narratives. Oops. Also, uh, uh, some of the uh, researches found a uh, quite interesting uh, parallel or a pattern when uh, pro-government trolls or uh, inauthentic accounts on the social media, on one case uh, trying to promote some of the domestic local messages of Georgian dream uh, government, but on the other hand, they are the ones also replicating pro-Russian uh, propaganda narrative. For example, uh, uh, the Russian propaganda functions in Georgia largely in a similar way. Uh, there are content creators and replicators. Uh, unfortunately, but these replicators or content creators are very closely linked to the Georgian government. And these are the same networks to do the uh, similar job. Russian uh, and aggressive uh, uh, GD supporters. Uh, there was a, uh, there are few uh, researches done by the uh, relevant think tank organizations. For example, uh, Facebook, together with the Atlantic Council's DFR Lab, uh, revealed that more than 400 uh, an authentic government-sponsored accounts who were seeding anti-Western uh, messages, anti-Americanism and also polarizing uh, society within. So, uh, and there, uh, this is a uh, kind of uh, uh, structure how anti-Western pro propaganda works here. Good thing though, is that when it came to the uh, black and white decision, whether we need in uh, Europe or not, majority of Georgians went in the streets for Europe. So good news is that we, uh, uh, whether political parties, civil society organizations, think tanks, or influential opinion makers that we were advocating for Georgia's European future, I think we've done a good job because when it came to the uh, kind of a juncture point, most of the Georgians, again, demonstrated their willingness to be part of the Europe. They went on the streets and the public opinion confirms the same. 80% is the threshold uh, that constantly maintained uh, Georgia's support to the EU, uh, NATO membership, and the pro-Western affiliation. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a great point. It strikes me as, you know, this being a very 
improbable moment for anti-Western pro-Russian politics to flourish uh, on the Eastern Front in the country which is directly threatened by 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 Russia. So so that's perhaps a silver lining to this entire situation. So I have I have two questions for you. One is you you called uh, the um, Georgian Dream Ivanishvili government a collaborationist one, and and I think we can we can sort of see where you where you're coming from when you when you make that claim. But it would be useful for our listeners to maybe sort of see and and learn about specific anecdotes uh, that sort of document the linkages between somebody like Bidzina Ivanishvili and Russian interests. Like you know, does he have business dealings with Russia? Has he had personal history? Being in Russia, what 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 the sort of you know like where do those ties go and how old they are, how 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 strong they are, and and how come the Georgian public does not necessarily see through them? So that's my first question. The other one is, you know, given this extraordinary surge in popular support for Georgia's European future and and and, and reversing this democratic backsliding that we've seen in Georgia in recent years, uh, I think it's sort of worth thinking about sort of the, the political implications of that, because protests are good, uh, but protests, public protests are no substitute for political organization and forming of political coalitions across diverse groups uh, in a way that could actually win elections and, and, and you know, get rid of, 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 of Georgian dream at the, at, the, at the ballot box. I think that's the sort of lesson from other countries that have sort of survived instances of, of democratic backsliding. So how far the talks between Georgian opposition forces are in terms of, you know, forming a unified front or at least coordinating, joining forces and making sure that, that Georgia indeed does have a, you know, European and, and democratic future? Uh, thank you. That's a very important uh, question. And that's uh, the question uh, our uh, friends, when I was in, in Washington, D.C., been asking on every uh, institution I had meetings, so uh, what is the solution? But uh, going back to your first question, who is uh, Ivanishvili and why he, uh, I call him an informal ruler who captured the state? Ivanishvili is an uh, oligarch made in Russia. Uh, his uh, uh, fortune comes from Russia. Uh, he's been uh, one of the first uh, uh, generation, let's say, uh, oligarchs who uh, amassed his uh, uh, fortune uh, together with uh, uh, other Russian uh, oligarchs. He was uh, in the banking business, uh, had a uh, bank who mostly used to launder some kleptocratic money, and there are a few scandals affiliated with him, some illegal operations like Angola Gate case with illegal arms transfer. Uh, uh, his background ha- has been quite sanitized uh, uh, by, uh, I think, somebody because it's really hard to find any particular information. So most of uh, my judgment about him comes from what he's doing right now in Georgia rather than trying to dig in his past. Uh, but what he did in Georgia is that he imported uh, uh, this Russian uh political uh, governance system of the uh, state capture. So he controls uh, all the branches, starting from judiciary to the government uh, uh, and security services. So every state institution is under his personal control. Just in a, with the one glance, uh, if you look at the minister cabinet of ministers, all the ministers are either his personal lawyers, personal uh, former personal banker, personal assistant, personal bodyguard who runs security service, 
or intermediate. So everyone was working personally for him, and now they kind of quote unquote run the country. Uh, but that creates a quite a uh, significant uh, problem for the Georgian opposition as well. To uh, turn now to your second part of your uh, question, uh, but also uh, with his uh, influence. Uh, while he not formally uh, have no any position or not accountable, even the formal institutions that he nominates his personal guys are not the major decision makers because there is other, uh, let's say, uh, uh, 2.0 system, informal one, who really makes a decision whether it's about the uh, particular policies, foreign policy choices, business deals, uh, economy, strategic infrastructure, it's, all these decisions are made through this informal uh, 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 network of the personally connected to him people. Uh, and he buys this uh, loyalty through the corruption. So corruption became a lubricant of the system. So everyone who is involved in corruption, whether they are formally visible or informal decision makers, they are loyal or personally to Ivanishvili. He did uh, this you know, step by step, uh, taking uh, control over the uh, independent businesses. He personally coerced a few major businesses, even confessed that he made a decision which businessman is good and which was not so good. He, he tried to do the same with media and quite successfully. There is uh, only a uh, few media outlets that function and he's now financially suffocating the opposition media. One of the uh, media uh, head has been uh, jailed just weeks before the decision of the European Union about our talks. So I think it has been done deliberately to give an argument not to give Georgia candidacy status. Then, of course, uh, particular his policy decisions, let's say uh, energy policy. Georgia became uh, heavily dependent on uh, electricity that we imported from Russia. Georgia's uh, food dependency on Russia now 100% wheat we've been importing from Russia as well. Uh, Georgia never made any political uh, foreign policy decision regarding supporting Ukraine, just the opposite. Uh, Georgia's current prime minister in the beginning outset he said that the uh, Ukraine issue is different, we are different, we are not joining sanctions. Uh, they are trying to promote this propaganda narrative that... Uh, we are, have a good relations with Russia because we do not want to war. So West is pushing us to, to the war, and uh, that's why West is bad. So uh, this also resonates the, the previous question about the propaganda. Now, of course, nobody could, could argue that Russia is good, but uh, uh, there are other uh, messages of Russian propaganda, and one of them is that, okay, yeah, you want war, then yes, West means war, NATO means war, etc. Uh, so in, in that context, of course, uh, uh, it's really hard for Georgian opposition to oper operate because uh, also Ivanish really made a lot of efforts through its security services uh, and some uh, financial uh, means as well uh, to split up opposition and even to atomize opposition parties. And any attempt to create some kind of a joint platform has uh, been targeted with domestic propaganda, polarization, um, creating some scarecrows like you know, former uh, Georgian president who is now jailed uh, as a political prisoner uh, that yeah if uh, if we will lose the power then Saakashvili will come and he will punish you all 
which is all the irrational fears. But this fear mongering of the war or the political retribution of, by opposition is the tools of controlling the society, which also exactly the same that Putin and maybe some authoritarians are, are uh, using. So, and for Georgian opposition, it's it's really hard. But the European Union idea of the European Union and Georgia, the possible deprivation of this historic chance, somehow created a very strong uh, momentum, a way that we all uh, think we have to catch and capitalize on this. So we talk a lot uh, with each other. Uh, uh, I don't uh, think that there will be any successful mechanical unities among the opposition. Uh, but all the pro-Western forces, I think, uh, uh, are now realizing that uh, major uh, targets uh, of uh, political activism should be somehow synchronized. It's like to use the military terminology, use the tactics of the mission control, that uh, uh, the, the fight against enemy is not centralized, but there are clear uh, uh, missions and clear measures of success. So everyone in their capacity is doing maximum to achieve one major common goal, is to bring Georgia back on the track towards the Europe. And I think these tactics will be uh, uh, successful in, in, in this regard. And the public, that's why this public rallies, a big number of people in the streets was important to embolden. Because before that, there was some kind of an apathy. And, you know, one of the reasons of propaganda is to make you believe that you are in minority. But uh, that showed us that we, pro-Western Georgians, are in majority and the, the government and the pro-Russian is in minority. So dividing line is uh, not that uh, GD is trying to um, impose on us, that is, you know, uh, UNM, uh, National Movement, uh, or GD, or Ivanishvili, or Saakashvili, real divide. This is a fake uh, uh, dividing line. Real dividing line is pro-Western or uh, uh, pro-Russian. And this is 80% in our advantage. Even uh, all the uh, Georgian um, uh, dream supporters are not pro-Russian. All pro-Russians are GD supporters, but not all their supporters are pro-Russian. So this is the task for uh, uh, Georgian opposition right now to have an outreach to those who really like GD, but they also like the Europe and the West, and to have a communication bring bridges with them because that's exactly the tactics of the GD to burn these bridges. So to bring all this polarization on a personal level, not to uh, not to let us to have outreach or dialogue with those who politically maybe not our electorate, but we share the same value. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you one more thing, and that's building on what you just said and what you explained in very plastic terms um, to me when we met in Washington a few weeks ago. And that's in what when we're looking at the war, what propaganda consists of in, in Georgia, and, and then building on that, how uh, how Georgia, the Georgian society overall relates to the war as we're going now into the fifth uh, month of war. Um, you explained this very briefly when you're saying um, that the main propaganda message is that the United States and the West overall 
is trying to pull Georgia into the war. And that's building on, as you explained, on the fears um, that the Georgian society has um, from 2008 um, off conflict. And of course, um, the very different size that no matter how brave um, Georgians are, they're not going to be able to withhold um, as much as, as Ukraine can right now. Um, but I'm wondering, when you're looking at beyond propaganda, when you're looking at Georgian society um, and what, um, how it perceives the conflict um, and the role of Georgia in this, if you can, if you can help us build a picture of what the war looks like in Georgian eyes um, now the fifth month into the war. We know that in the first um, months there's been amazing reports of um, the brave Georgians who are fighting along the Ukrainians um, with amazing reports of how efficient they've been both in the Battle of Kiev and now in the Donbass. Um, but you also have now a very interesting combination and potentially explosive combination of a significant Russian minority that's hosted in in Georgia, um, part independent, but part also pushed by Russia um, over there with, I think, 9,000 um, firms, companies that have been opened um, by Russians um, throughout this war. And you also have a Ukrainian minority that has escaped Mariupol and, and other places. So with that new ethnic combination in Georgia, what um, what does um, how does Georgian society look at the war and at um, at these various conflicts and groups? Uh, yes, as I said, uh, uh, we view this war and majority of Georgians um, view this uh, war right now on Ukraine territory as a prolongation or continuation of what Russia started in 2000 in Georgia. So these are the different episodes, much larger scale, and maybe like a uh, final piece of uh, Putin's aggressive revisions. Uh, luckily, brave Ukrainian people created a uh, solid uh, resistance, and the fact that they managed to push back, and Kiev did not fall, and uh, Russia, uh, Russian attempted regime change did not happen uh, in Ukraine, and now Ukrainians are going on offensive rather than only just suffering losses and being on defensive, really gave us and the rest of the free world uh, not only motivation, but really uh, momentum uh, to uh, build on uh, on our future security. So most of the Georgians as well uh, see, and what, that's what we are trying to explain to our society, to view this war in a bigger zoom out and see as a a big front line and different uh, segments of the front line. And here, of course, the Black Sea, uh, as uh, you know well, became a major area of focus, major theater of geopolitics, not only military. Uh, and that was coming. We've been speaking about the importance of the Black Sea. Even uh, after 2014, Black Sea became an important issue for study, Black Sea security at the uh, uh, Warsaw, NATO Warsaw Summit uh, brought this issue in, in its agenda. It repeats Black Sea on numerous uh, occasions. So uh, the, the uh, context of this war really has a good uh, traction among Georgian society. So we clearly see what this war is and why we are parts of this war as well. Of course, the emotional uh, uh, manipulations with the fear mongering 
gets its traction. Nobody wants war. We've seen this war on our territory. Uh, and uh, but the uh, the logic of uh, this uh, propaganda is exactly opposite what is really happened. Because if Georgia becomes uh, appeasing uh, country that appeases Putin, it will get war eventually. It will get a Russian aggression because that's uh, uh, what usually happens. So our argument is just opposite. Now uh, this gray zone for uh, uh, you know maneuvering uh, for GD, our government disappeared. It's evaporated. It's like a black and white. And we have to stand on the right uh, side of the history, and we have to be more proactive, pushing some more uh, projects for Georgia to engage. We have to be pushing more integration of uh, Georgia in. Uh, new arrangements of security in the region, and the majority of uh, Georgian public clearly sees. That's why this European idea got so big uh, support and people stepped out of uh, on the streets because uh, they were reluctant to go uh, to the public rallies when particular political uh, organization would uh, call it. Uh, and there was, again, you know, the internal um, uh, differences and friction, but when it came to the major uh, role of understanding that we might really lose this window opportunity, it means that Georgia would remain Russian backyard and then eventually became uh, will become a prey of Russian uh, aggre- uh, aggression. So that's why uh, this uh, war is viewed as our war. And you will hear a lot of times that it's our war. And we've seen Ukrainians supporting Georgia in 2008. Ukrainians were uh, coming in Georgia, trying to support us. So uh, at least m- minimum what we, we can do for Ukrainian people, as a Georgian people, because we have a wrong government, to support uh, Ukrainian refugees who are coming to Georgia. And we do a, a lot of uh, assistance, a lot of uh, programs to uh, accommodate them, to give them uh, some basic needs. And also we try to mobilize public and uh, Georgian businesses are very prone. They donate money to different funds to support Ukraine. We also try to support the Georgians who are fighting in Ukraine uh, along uh, with uh, their Ukrainian brother in arm. Uh, And that creates quite a uh, a counterbalance of the government's inability or reluctance to support politically Ukraine in this war. On the other hand, we see government supports quite uh, and invites a big Russian presence on Georgian territory. We understand that there are some Russians who are escaping Putin and they are uh, trying to find Georgia as a safe place. But also we see a lot of Russians who are uh, moving money to Georgia, uh, who are establishing uh, their uh, economic presence in Georgia. And uh, also uh, there are uh, uh, different uh, records and reports of this entities helping Russia to avoid sanctions. You will see a lot of trucks going to the uh, Russian border. You will see a lot of financial transactions ca- uh, happening through Georgian institutions, through different schemes, Georgian ports as well being used. And recently there was a, uh, a report by the uh, uh, United States uh, Treasury uh, about some suspicious activities, confirmed activities, uh, through different countries helping Russia to avoid sanctions, and Georgia was named uh, among them. So that is one of the reasons why we are uh, calling international community to take a more close look what Ivanishvili and his informal system is doing, because they are 
connected as a shared vessel to the Russian financial and economic system. And that's why while uh, targeting by sanctions the Russian and Russian oligarchs, other enablers like our own infrastructure needs to be more closely watched because uh, I think Ivanishvili achieved uh, uh, one of the uh, the highest uh, standards of state capture because I barely uh, cannot recall any single oligarch owning entire country as we see in Georgia and being connected uh, to Russia. On the other hand, uh, of course, uh, with this uh, uh, kind of an, uh, uh, ethnic composition in Georgia uh, and increased uh, Russian and, and Ukrainians, of course, uh, there is a uh, uh, fear that Russia and their higher infiltration in our uh, different uh, institutions creates a uh, uh, possibility of some uh, scenarios uh, like they tried in Montenegro before Montenegro joined NATO in 2016. Because degree of Russian special services infiltration in Georgia is quite high. They operate uh, hand-free. We've never seen Georgian government arresting any Russian spy while everyone in the free world is expanding and ma- expelling in mass Russian, Russian spies. And this financial system that they have here, of course, helps to flourish and mushroom their network. So frankly, we don't know uh, what would be the Russian next move, and this is the fear that uh, we need to pay attention as well. That's why we need uh, sanctions on the Russian financial system in Georgia and their enablers, not to let them uh, execute what are their plans here. Thank you so much, um, Batu Kutelia, former ambassador of Georgia to um, the United States for enlightening us on Georgia and the war. Um, from me, Yulia Joja, and my friends, Giselle Donnelly and Dalibor Rohaj. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Front, a podcast dedicated to security challenges that have emerged along the line running from the Baltic to the Black Sea. You can find more episodes and additional content on our website, AI.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please get in touch with us on Twitter using always the same hashtag, Eastern Front Pod in one word. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Again, another big thank you to Batu from Tbilisi, um, and thank you to, for, to our listeners for joining us. Until next time, goodbye.